Kyle Style Podcast, back again with another installment of Visions of the Apocalypse. This is Eco Collapse. Now, Eco Collapse, short for Ecological Collapse, is a kind of amorphous, uh, dynamic, kind of shifting, uh, end of the world scenario. Could mean a lot of stuff, and and in a sense, things like the nuclear war thing could you know destroy the biosphere of the Earth. That's everywhere on the Earth that things can live, right? Because things can't live too high, and things can't live too low in the Earth, too deep. But uh, or you know, an asteroid impact, something like that. But this is more related to kind of the. The idea of pollution, the global warming, and the ice caps melting, and the ozone layer, and all that stuff. And as a, as again, having grown up in the, you know, late 80s into the 90s, the global warming, climate change thing kind of evolved over time, right? It didn't used to be an issue. It didn't, it, no one ever really talked about it. And then maybe in the 60s to 70s, you know, we started looking back at the Earth from outer space and stuff. And we started going, ah, wow, look at this. And we started doing measurements and things and doing science on the environment of the Earth. And there's, there, this is kind of like a serious topic, um, but we're going to, we're going to steer away from the kind of heavier stuff because, I don't even know. I, I don't know what the fuck to think anymore. It's like you've got people saying that, uh, you know, there's the ice caps are melting and that there's this global uh, average temperature change and it's caused by our carbon footprints and all that stuff. And then you have people who, you know, <laughs> who this is basically who... Like, I don't even know how to describe it. There's people who seem like legitimate sciencey types who shoot holes in some of that doom and gloom uh while at the same time it, pollution isn't good regardless i mean if you've seen pictures of like shanghai and stuff and, and beijing good god like you wouldn't want to live in that anyway so the eco-collapse thing covers a broad scope, but we're going to go with, uh, I mostly have movies for you this time. Uh, there's, I found a link to a whole long list of books and stuff, and I was just like, you know what, I'm not, I don't have time to, to read all these, so. I put together a little playlist and everything else, and, uh, you know, when you're checking that out, of course, you'll be on ksouthsblog.blogspot.com, and you can, uh, head over to the Redbubble store, that's, uh, Kyle Style Design and you know, redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash Kyle Style Design. And just in time for the holidays, I've just gotten a couple of new uh, designs up there that have uh, been doing well on my new Instagram account. That's Kyle underscore style underscore podcast on Instagram. In case I can just plug myself a little further, get on a few more social media accounts, you know. Um,. What was I saying? Oh, yeah. Uh, new designs for Christmas, and uh, you can get some of my original artwork on uh, prints and hats and shirts and coffee mugs and all that good stuff. 
So check that out. I get a portion of the proceeds or give me a Christmas present. Head over to the GoFundMe page, throw me a couple of dollars, and I will continue to try to put together some, uh, well, kind of do your homework for you in a certain respect and uh, keep bringing you content. We only have we only have like a couple more visions of the apocalypse. There's only a couple more ways that the world can end. So let's uh, dive in here to the visions of the apocalypse eco collapse. So you've got the you've got the the big daddy, the the main guy, right? Um, the call it non-fiction um an inconvenient truth from al gore and i actually just recently sat down and watched all of this it's it's on netflix and it's a pretty effective uh you know little kind of narrative that he puts together there that you know our our public understanding of science changes over time and our um our our needs as a growing you know global civilization put immense pressures on the biosphere of the earth and its ability to provide our uh, life sustaining resources right but there have been there has been like pushback on inconvenient truth and i think that they made some predictions and things that kind of didn't come true but the whole concept is scary right that we can just keep burning wood and coal and uh you know keep chopping down the forests and it's going to you know cause like the ice caps to melt and there's going to be massive flooding and it's going to change the weather patterns and there's going to be you know droughts and uh and and like you know the the whole ecosystem of the earth could like shift and change and this is something that you can't prep for you know some of these other uh disaster scenarios that i've covered it's like the zombies you know yeah you can buy guns and food and stuff and and you know wait it out you can you know even nuclear war in theory like people could kind of survive that if they're prepared if they have warning they can uh they can make bomb shelters and stockpile food and the you know, same with the you know asteroid collapse and all that you know the power grid failure that kind of thing you, you can prepare for that stuff but one of the things you run into with eco collapse is that if it if it's like the atmosphere of the earth becomes unbreathable right never mind the the societal collapse aspect but you just you have like a biodome that you can breathe in but then you like going outside it's like going on the surface of mars you know like what does that look like if there's the the rain stops and there's no you know there's no more farming like what does it look like if the ice caps melt and floods all the major cities well that's a lot of um you know infrastructure and everything else i mean look at new orleans in uh the Hurricane Katrina debacle. Just a couple too many feet of water, too many inches even, and you have a major U.S. city just drowning and people are killing each other and it's just a disaster. So, Inconvenient Truth is that uh, that kind of non-fiction-esque approach 
to explaining how maybe volatile the Earth's uh, ecosystem is and our dependence upon it, right? Because it doesn't even need to be killed off completely. It just needs to change too much for humans to survive in. And that's what uh, a lot of these stories uh, that we'll dive into here are, are about. And as uh, as done in the previous episodes, it's like we're going to try to walk through it a little bit, right? From the outset to the end. And in reality, these kind of things take maybe centuries to come about. But uh, it, that doesn't necessarily make for a great film. So, again, uh, a lot of these are, are movies and stuff. But uh, let's uh, move away from Inconvenient Truth. So, there's a kind of a great uh another semi nonfiction is kind of a speculative thing called uh, earth 2100 and i think it was produced by like abc or something and it's uh, uh got a great uh kind of animation style where um a fictional narrator named lucy tells the story of growing up in the you know, early aughts and then moves all the way to the year 2100, and she sees all the different kind of factors and variables kind of come together into this perfect storm of uh, of droughts and flooding and uh, and societal collapse, which leads to like you know technological collapses, and and it's. It shows how people might try to take different steps at different times to counteract some of the climate change that's happening. But again, that that factor, that aspect that you can't prep for this kind of thing, you can't stockpile enough beans and ammo to like outlast the earth no longer providing what human beings need. And that's kind of what the story is. And, uh, I'll, uh, again, include the playlist here and, you know, give that one a spin. You know, it's like an hour and a half, but uh, it was was entertaining and kind of demonstrated a lot of the, you know, environmental strain that massive, that the the Earth's populations have been kind of putting on the the Earth. And, and, uh, hmm. I mean, yeah, that's it. Earth 2100, uh, a good uh, demonstration of things we could be doing now, things that could be done later, and whether or not those uh, efforts might hold off some kind of catastrophic environmental shift, right? And the the idea of the uh, the immediacy of this is kind of driven home in a few of these. So they'll move right into, when you think about global warming, of course, it's always been at least I always remember it this way, that uh, we're going to make the ice caps melt, right? And back in, God, what was it, 1995, you have this, I guess, cult classic or uh, classically hated film, <laughs> Waterworld, and uh, starring Kevin Costner. And the intro to that movie is how, you know, the ice caps have melted and... Mankind lives in a new world, and the whole world is flooded by the ice caps melting, and 
it's basically Mad Max on the water, right? There's it's Mad Max with sailboats, and Dennis Hopper is an awesome, uh, you know, uh, villain in that. But that is, you know, I guess centuries in the future. It's is, they didn't give an exact date. It's just the world's all flooded and everybody's living on boats and everything looks all rusty and run down and uh, people are trying to grow little plants and things and dirt is a highly prized commodity and there's a little girl and she has a tattoo of a map to where the dry land is and she allegedly came from dry land and the the movie is a fight or a race to see who gets to the dry land first or who gets the little girl first and this movie i i know this movie has problems up and down it has all kinds of plot holes and things but I love this fucking movie. Like, Waterworld is great to me. Uh, if you like Mad Max, there's Waterworld. And you can pick it apart pretty easily, but I, I still love it. I would watch it right now. And I included a uh, nostalgia critic uh, review of it because he you know nitpicks it and everything else. But uh, that's one of the scenarios that's been presented is this idea of ice caps melting and flooding the world. And again, it's really strange kind of that they went with that whole premise because just a quick little uh, Googling here. If the ice caps melted, the sea levels would rise about 70 meters or about 230 feet. So about 230 feet of water is frozen in the ice caps. So like... That like that would be a big change, and that would be a problem for a lot of you know, lower lying areas. But mass vast stretches of the Earth's surface would still be above water. So that whole premise, unless you like somehow introduce more water into the Earth, isn't gonna cause the whole world to be flooded. Like there would still be plenty of land everywhere, right? Uh, but anyway, still love the movie. And this then uh, I wasn't sure where to put this one. I, I was I was. This one is strange. It's another Kevin Costner movie. It's basically Mad Max with horses. It's another movie that apparently everyone else in the world hates except me. I love this movie, The Postman. I understand. It's the same same excuses I'll give you for Waterworld. It's got plot holes. It's a little bit uh, maybe overly dramatic or melodramatic at times. And yeah, Kevin Costner kind of maybe being a little dull from time to time. But The Postman is the story of... It's not quite sure exactly. I haven't read the book. But it seems as though there was a, you know, ecological shift. And far, you know, there was like droughts and things. And it stopped raining. And uh, like birds stopped migrating, that kind of thing. And this caused a farmer named Nathan Holm to lead a revolt against the U.S. government, and this led to a whole societal collapse and isolation, and our our hero, Kevin Costner, uh, ends up traveling around to these towns in the Pacific Northwest that, uh, and, and delivering old mail that he found in a, in a mailbag, and that's how he becomes the postman. And then, because he's reconnecting these towns with the mail, they organize, and the uh, the still existent kind of uh, rebel army of these the holnists they're called, who are brutal as hell, 
they don't like that because then they, you know, those people will organize and fight back against them. So it's a classic kind of post-apocalyptic battle stuff that happens. And uh, it all comes about, of course, because of a kind of ecological shift that happens. And I have been meaning to read this book but uh, I still recommend the movie. I have, like, the intro kind of thing, which has some of the exposition for the story in the playlist here. But uh, the whole movie is a little long, but I swear, I love this movie. I, I, I recommend it, but I guess you won't like it. As I can't give it a glowing endorsement. Apparently, people don't like this movie. Anyways, so... <sighs> One of the issues, one of the big, big issues is the elephant in the room when it comes to environmental strain and stresses and this, the, the actually apocalyptic level of it, of, uh, you know, uh, ecological change, climate change, is our population size. If there was only a hundred million people on Earth, you could use all the resources you want, and it kind of wouldn't matter, you know. Uh, you could drive a tank around, right? And the environmental impact would be negligible. But we are approaching 7 billion people. I mean, there's like a billion Chinese, 1.2 billion Chinese alone, and there's like 1 point something billion Indians, and the, the, the world's getting a little crowded, and all these people... They're all breathing, they're all pissing, they're all shitting, they're all eating. And, well, not all of them are eating, but for the most part, everybody's eating. And they all want to drive cars, they all want to use computers, they all, of course, want to listen to the Kyle Style podcast on a smartphone. And so all of these uh, strains, uh, all, all of these demands strain our, not only our economy, but they strain the earth itself the amount of natural resources and how we're getting to them and everybody driving cars and pumping more stuff up in the air and it's like blocking out the sun and again you look at some pictures of Shanghai, Beijing, even you know cities like LA. There's just this perpetual smog and if you've ever been to LA it's gross. Like the air is just blech. it's nasty. And this uh this population problem is just kind of staring everybody in the face and there's uh, there's a classic a classic movie that uh, kind of addresses this and it's of course it's called Soylent Green and it's become its own sci-fi trope essentially to you know parody Soylent Green or reference Soylent Green and it's uh, Charlton Heston in his kind of in his heyday of doing sort of sci-fi movies. He was in the Omega Man and Planet of the Apes, and you know I think they dubbed him in this movie again for some reason. But uh, Soylent Green is the story of uh, Charlton Heston as a, a detective in the future. I'm not sure exactly what year, but especially the intro to the movie does this photo montage of. Maybe, you know, um, late 1800s America, and it's pre-industrial, and then it builds up and it ramps up to the, the big cities and the pollution and all the cars and all the people everywhere and all the cities are kind of getting, like, overrun and destroyed, and um, 
there's massive shortages of food and there's no, you know, there's not even housing for everybody. There's just like people sleeping everywhere because there's nowhere, you know, they, there's nowhere to put all the people. And because he's a detective, he lives with, uh, with Saul. And Saul is a old man who is kind of, it's a classic kind of trope too, is that he's kind of from the before time. He's kind of from our time and he knows stuff right there he he just knows about the past and he knows about things so you ask him questions and he can tell you because he's old um and he uses him as a reference to get answers to things and there's a, a murder and there's intrigue and uh of course it leads to this there's this big food company that is producing Soylent Yellow, which is like, uh, like a you know wheat cube or whatever, and then there's like Soylent Red, which is uh, was it like it was like soy or beans or something that they compress into these like cubes to feed everybody, and it's uh, it's basically getting down, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel to make food for everybody, and then there's the new product Soylent Green, and. If you don't already know, I'm going to spoil it for you. Soylent Green is people. And there are people who volunteer to die. Uh, a euthanasia kind of thing. And then they take their bodies and they turn them into Soylent Green. They turn them into food. To feed everybody. And this this movie nails a few things, though. It's, it's the, the, the running up against the scarcity of what we're able to produce when we have too many people and what it looks like uh charlton heston you know he investigates this rich guy's house when after he gets murdered and um and he you know starts swiping stuff he's just stealing stuff and he steals like uh, you know a bar of soap and there's some meat in the fridge, and he's. I, th I think he says he's never even seen meat. And there's like vegetables and apples and uh, and that kind of thing. And I think he steals like whiskey. And then you know Saul has to show him how to like make a meal, how to <laughs> like cook this food into a real a real meal. And you know he eats an apple and he eats like the whole thing except the stem because he just doesn't know how to eat an apple. And. Uh, He's investigating the case, and he uh, there's some some chick that is uh, somehow related to this murder, and he kind of walks barges into her house, and he's talking to her, and she's been eating like strawberry jam off of a spoon, and she thinks she hit it, but she left the spoon out, and then he you know swipes the spoon, and she's like, damn, like he caught me. But he just leaves with this, and it's a metal spoon. And everybody else is eating with, like, plastic knives and forks. And he, uh, you know, he's like, it's a metal spoon, a real metal spoon, and it's got something on it. And he's like, I don't even know what this is, but he lets Saul eat it. And Saul takes it, and he's like, ah, it's strawberries. And it's like, you know, $500 a jar strawberries. So that's, like, how dire or how, uh, you know, how like we take it for granted now that we just buy peaches and pears and you know apples and 
we have all this food and, you know, people are eating too much food and getting fat and everything else. And then you ratchet that population up a little bit and it's just going to overwhelm our ability to, like, feed people and clothe people and move people around and... um and it's it's kind of scary because again you can't really prep for this. There's nothing there's nothing that any one person can do to change that trajectory of the population growth. Uh, you know the Chinese tried to do it with the one child policy and all that, and and, and that leads to its own problems. And it's just it's tricky. It's it's really tricky. So that that leads me to another uh, another scenario that kind of relates to the uh, uh, the electrical grid collapse episode, the, the previous episode of Visions of the Apocalypse, and, but it relates to energy generally. And this is uh, this was a rather spooky documentary called Collapse uh, by Michael Rupert. And he committed suicide actually back in 2014, which led to some conspiracy theories. But uh, Collapse is about peak oil and, you know, the oil supply and everything. And there's a segment in there where he talks about how our dependence on petrochemicals and uh, mechanized farming in the event of uh, uh, peak oil collapse, we wouldn't be able to produce enough food to feed all the people. We, We can't horticulture enough food um to to feed everybody and again i i don't think you can prep for that either (laughs) you know uh maybe in the short term maybe but not uh not a full-blown you know breakdown in the global trade and movement of oil and other fossil fuels and mechanized farming if it gets even a slight hiccup could really mess with food availability, food prices, that kind of thing. So collapse is another good one, another another full length one I recommend I recommend just for the the food for thought, you know. But that's not that's a that's an energy kind of problem, not necessarily a uh, ecological collapse issue. But again, carrying capacity is one of the key terms people use to describe this concept of how many people the earth can support and in some sense we don't know we don't necessarily know how many people the earth can really support i guess we're gonna find out because people are not gonna stop fucking moving right along uh, hang on a second here Let me take a... all right so for some reason <laughs> the these couple movies uh, uh, cropped up while I was digging around and I remembered some of them. And for some reason, the earth freezing is this, uh, common topic in some of these, uh, in these movies anyway, about the, you know, shifting, uh, uh, environment of the earth. And one of the classic ones, of course, which was, uh, parodied by South Park is the day after tomorrow. Not to be confused with The Day After, which has been covered like kind of th- maybe three, two, three times on the Kyle Style podcast. But uh, The Day After Tomorrow, I think it was Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, Dennis Quaid, Randy Quaid. Oops, Dennis Quaid, the the handsome one, not the insane one. 
and uh, the it basically shows an accelerated timeline of you know the ice ca- like icebergs melting and then that changes the salination of the ocean currents which makes them change their speed or whatever and then that causes like superstorms and then you've got like some big huge superstorm that uh pulls super cold temperatures like from outer space down and it starts instantly freezing stuff and this uh the whole northern hemisphere of the earth just gets frozen over in the course of well you know in in the movie i think it was you know uh, an hour of the movie shows like vast swaths of the northern hemisphere of the earth just getting instantly frozen after they've been flooded and there was a bit of a ice age or you know evolutionary hinting in there it was like the smart people figured out how to survive this ice age and they would live on and have children and that this is how kind of how people were going to adapt to the the new ice age and you know there's even like the, the space station they're looking down watching it all happen and this was ridiculed because it is a bit silly like it, like it, the whole scenario of climate change and everything wouldn't really happen this quickly right it wouldn't happen in the course of an hour or two kind of a thing uh it's a much more pronounced uh, protracted uh effect essentially it's my understanding anyway but uh that movie was interesting in that regard that you think of climate change you think kind of of global warming you think everything's going to keep getting warmer which that's part of why they've moved away from saying global warming and they say climate change because the warming in one area might not necessarily mean that the whole planet heats up and turns into like a desert it could just mean that you know you melt the ice sheets uh, the the ice caps and then that changes the uh, ocean currents which changes the weather and changes where rain falls and you know it, it can mess with the whole the whole system of the earth right but uh, worth a watch, I suppose. If you're already listening to me, then you probably have time on your hands. So go check out The Day After Tomorrow and watch Jake Gyllenhaal try not to freeze to death in the super or, uh, global warming storm. So now we're going to move into a weird a weird thing. Uh, so if you take the Earth freezing over as the first step in a climate change eco-collapse uh, uh, scenario that leads to two more movies that are both about the earth being frozen over. And the first one is, it's I just watched it again on Netflix the other day. It's called The Colony. And The Colony is stars not Jared Leto in, uh, they, the people live, how would I put it? They had big weather manipulation technology, and somehow it got, ran away from them. It got crazy, and the whole it froze the whole world over. And so the people who live in these underground colonies, where they do, you know, they they grow plants and things, and they try to sustain themselves, and they're in communication with some other, you know, facilities that are doing the same thing. And uh, Morgan Freeman is there, and Bill Paxton is there. 
because I guess they needed to get paychecks. I'm not sure. But uh, they end up losing uh, communication with one of their uh, fellow colonies. And so they have to venture out into the snow to go see what happened. And there's like... I'm not quite sure why. I don't. I don't think I even explained it. There's basically like crazy cannibal zombie insane people who ate everybody, and then they want to find the next colony. So they got to follow these people and try to eat them. And it's you know it's a corny movie. There's like a ridiculously pretty girl who has great hair even though it's the apocalypse and they live underground and they're like starving and stuff. But uh, she has these this uh, very stylish, uh, warm winter coat. and it, But it's it's great. It's great. Um, if you're into schlocky like, sci-fi like I am, like The Postman, I guess, The Postman's better than this movie, but uh, stay focused here. The Colony... It's on Netflix. Check it out. Uh, there's some cool action as the uh, last of humanity fights off the, you know, cannibal monsters, and they attempt to find a uh, a warm place where they can take the seeds they've been collecting, and they can go and start civilization anew, right? But yeah, Earth being frozen over, and then that leads to another surprising, surprising movie. Uh, 2013, I guess. Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer. Uh, this one might still be on Netflix as well. This was, like, surprisingly good. This movie has no right to be good, but it is. Uh, Snowpiercer stars, uh, Captain America, uh, Chris Evans. And there's some other fairly well-known actors. I forget the, the, it was like John Hurt or something was the, one of the guys, but uh, Ed Harris is in it. And I think the guy who played Old Boy, the Asian actor. And they're on a train, all right? They're on a train. The Earth has already frozen over. So in some sense, this could be happening at the same time that the colony is happening. Uh, it's not. I'll make that clear, but it, it could be. The whole Earth is frozen over. And the Snowpiercer is a train. It's like a super nuclear-powered something-or-other train, and it just goes around and around the Earth on a track, right, obviously. And the train is... The train represents a stratification of society. Way in the very back cars of the train are all the poor people, and they are fed, like, food cubes, and they, you know, they don't know... They're not allowed out of there and everything else, and... Every once in a while, the people from the front of the train kind of unlock the door and come in and smack them around and take their children for some reason. They measure the children and they steal them and they, you know, say, hey, thanks, bye. And they devise an escape plan, right? And they move from the back of the train through the different facilities of the train that help uh, sustain everybody. And they make their way through, through like schools and richer areas of the train where people kind of have no idea necessarily that there's these other people who've been living in the back of this train the whole time. And they make their way all the way to the front, to the engine. 
where you know Ed Harris is the the designer, the builder of the train, and the idea is that they were supposed to ride out the freezing of the earth um by riding around on this train, right? And there's like I said, like this premise is just retarded and it's like it's better than I'm making it sound, I swear. Uh the CG is pretty good. There's some cool action, there's some cool fight scenes and everything else. And you know, the social commentary is laid on a little thick, but it's just in it's just interesting. Like it was, it was like watching it kind of fascinated where it was just like, why is this so good? Like they're on a train in frozen future earth and and they're they're picked on because they're in the back of the train and they're poor and like but the the style overall is great and like again the action is great and everything but uh but yes check out snow piercer and i'll i'll include some videos here with the playlist but uh yeah it was, it was actually surprising to see captain america kind of pop up in this kind of indie sci-fi movie it's good stuff though but so aside from there's uh there's a lot of books that uh, that depict various, uh, call it eco, eco-collapsed futures. And again, trying to put these out in a timely fashion. And uh, I have already seen some of these movies, right? I mean, I've seen all these ones that I was talking about. Um, but if you want to, like, it's like if you want to look into eco-collapse or things that are threatening our environment it's like this fiction that i listed is entertainment basically there's so much like frightening stuff out there right now and we're at this point where i I don't even know what to think anymore like i said you got people saying that you know oh my god like the whole environment's gonna collapse and it's gonna be you know the death of everybody and then you got people saying well no that's not true because reasons xyz and they all have reason xyz and it seems like nothing's being done to stop climate change or global warming whatever you want to call it and then there's also this idea that you maybe don't have to do anything like it it might not be so pressing of a problem as some people are making it but you hear it enough over a long enough period of time and you kind of go well I mean, what can we do? Well, solar panels and... And again, you you can't exactly prep for one of these things. You, uh, for this... For the Earth no longer sustaining life. Right? Like, you can't... Uh, there's, there's no prepping for it. Uh, it might not even occur in our lifetimes. It could be 100 years. It could be 200 years before it finally reaches this... A catastrophic tipping point and just to drive it home i put on the tail end of my playlist here um a video from steven crowder where he he somewhat effectively in my estimation kind of addressed addresses uh five climate change myths and what people don't understand about them and what has been misconstrued 
to support the impending doom of climate change. And I think in some sense, I'm just being honest when I say I'm confused about this whole issue in in the reality of the issue. I just don't know what is real. You know, like I know nuclear weapons could totally wipe out basically everything on Earth. I know that meteors could come down and just destroy, you know, civilization. In theory, zombies could start walking around and start killing everybody. Uh, But that's, of course, far more an existential concern. But in these other scenarios, it's like, you know, even even the, uh, you know, rise of the machines. I don't know if machines are going to go haywire and wipe out civilization, right? They're going to go full Terminator. They don't know that. And in some sense, it's kind of like this. It's like, I don't, I just can't tell whether the science is accurate, whether these changes are really caused by us, and if they are caused by human activity, burning, you know, fossil fuels or whatever, that it's going to cause irreparable damage to the ecosystem and everything. Whether we can put the brakes on it at all anyway, right? Whether... Uh, environmental regulations on things like industry, right, are going to have an, be effective in preventing the change that we're told is, is happening. And then you're looking at, it's not just the United States. We use a lot more energy and, and produce a lot more waste than other countries do. But when the Chinese, with a billion-some people, start elevating their standard of living and they start consuming more stuff, anything we're doing to offset climate change is just going to get completely wiped out by them if they don't do it. And I, I don't know. I mean, at some point, there's just too many people. And then we're back to that you know, problem, right? Uh, you know, if India and China get uh, start having like a, you know, a, a car for every two citizens and there's hundreds of millions of cars driving around using fossil fuels i I don't you know and they're burning coal in power plants and they they have to have the power plants to run you know water pumps and irrigation and and everything else like i don't i don't understand how we get around this unless we start just building rockets and shooting people out into space uh god so yeah so yeah, Snowpiercer, the colony, the day after tomorrow, uh, collapse with uh, Michael Rupert, uh, Soylent Green, the Postman, Waterworld. Uh, what did we have? Oh yeah, Earth twenty one hundred and an inconvenient truth. All different depictions of various aspects of the eco collapse, the eco apocalypse, and. Uh, I can recommend basically anything on this list. I recommend watching it at least once, and you'll get that imagery. And you might just learn something, too, with some of the, you know, nonfiction, more nonfiction-y kind of things in there. So, so yeah, I guess that's it. Thanks for listening. Kyle Style Podcast, once again, Visions of the Apocalypse, Eco Collapse. If you enjoyed listening to this episode of me talking about the end of the world due to global warming... Head over to the redbubble.com store. It's redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash Kyle Style Design and get some of my original artwork uh, on 
merch. Uh, they even have clocks now. Like clocks. And then you put the design in the face of the clock. So you get, I guess, if you buy it, you'll be the first person to buy a clock from me. And you'll have a one-of-a-kind uh, piece of art in your life. But it's also available in prints and book covers and phone cases. Some of the phone cases do look pretty good. Some of my designs look pretty good on those. But uh, you can, uh, what is it? Well, my original art, Kyle Style Design. Yeah. Um, yeah, good stuff. And I got a few new designs up uh, just in time for Christmas in case you were not satisfied with the current selection. Uh, go over to the GoFundMe page. Otherwise, go over to the GoFundMe page and throw me a couple of dollars because I am supported by listeners like you, and I appreciate your contributions to the Kyle Style Podcast. Um Check me out on iTunes, uh, rate me and leave comments and share me around. I'm on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, SoundCloud, obviously. Uh, check out ksouth'sblog.blogspot.com. I'm on Twitter at kstylepodcast. I'm on Instagram, that's Kyle underscore style underscore podcast. And I'm putting my some of my designs up there, which if you're looking at my designs on Instagram and you see one that you like that is not available on the Redbubble store, you can just leave a comment and say, hey, dummy, uh, put that up on the Redbubble store and then I would like to buy that and then I'll make that available for you. I would do that for you just because you asked, right? I'm here to entertain you both with the soothing words about the end of the world and, you know, Chris Evans once again saving humanity. But I'm also trying to create visual art that, you know, just flashes beautiful colors and designs into your mind and makes you have, I don't know, whatever the experience of looking at art actually is. The sunum bonum. Anyways, thanks for listening, Kyle Style Podcast. Out.